This week on the Recruitment Flex, Kim Wilkinson joins me as guest co-host while Shelly is gallivanting in Europe. Our partner Van Hack announces $3 million in new funding. Canada makes wave in the tech community with its new immigration plans and will grandternity leave become a thing. The Recruitment Flex starts after this message from our partner and newly funded Van Hack. Hey there, Shelly. Have you heard about VanHack? Oh, you mean the HR tech sensation that's taking the recruitment world by storm? That's the one. VanHack is revolutionizing how companies find top talent globally. Imagine connecting with skilled professionals from all around the world without the hassle. Absolutely. VanHack has a great team and seamless technology where recruiters and companies can discover talent with ease. And they have a talent pool specifically curated for tech professionals. Tech savvy and globally connected, just what every company needs. Van Hack offers tailored solutions for companies of all sizes, from startups to Fortune 500 giants. So if you're ready to take your recruitment game to the next level, join Van Hack today. Yeah, visit Van Hack and unlock a world of talent right at your fingertips. VanHack.com, where global recruitment meets simplicity. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge. And as Shelly is traveling across Europe, I have my favorite guest co-host, Kim Wilkinson, joining me. Kim, it's such a pleasure to see you again. It's been a little while. It has. You're using a whole different program now. I'm like, do I even know this place? It has been a while. (laughs) Do you know what I was thinking about? It's probably been a couple of months and a lot has changed in that time frame, but I know how busy you've been. I don't know if you've been as busy as Shelly because she sent me my very first dick pic. I guess I, I have to give a little bit more information here. It was a dick of a statue somewhere in Germany. But I think there is some here in downtown Calgary. I think we have statues with dicks, right? We do. Well, dicks are out there. You know, tits are out, dicks are out. Let's just <laughs> stop the charade of clothing. Thank God that I started dating before the advent of really online dating. I think lava life was the thing when I was dating. So that's going back. Yeah. Quite a bit. So I'm glad I missed that. But I'm curious, did you miss the dick pic era? I feel like I, I exited out just as it was getting started. I had a friend who was like a magnet for the dick pic. I'm like, I don't know what kind of energy you're giving out. That guys are just like, this chick wants to see my dick constantly. Hello, followed by a dick pic. But yes, no, luckily I did get off the market before that became a normal day to day. Well, Shelly is having lots of fun and I'm glad to see it. I'm excited to have her back next week, but it feels like an old hat, right? When you're on the show. I think this is the first time we've ever recorded just me and you. It might be. Shelly and I have done our own thing, but uh, yeah, you and I, I don't think we have. So what's new, Kim? I'm assuming you have big summer plans as you always do. So what are you planning this summer? 
Honestly, nothing, which is actually amazing. We traveled a ton at the beginning of the year, which felt like a lot. And so we grow a lot of vegetables in the backyard. So our garden is in full swing. My son is transitioning to high school and we've got some pre-math work we're working on, which that's enough to drive you to the crazy place. Yeah, I'm relearning grade nine math and growing vegetables. (laughs) You did say something in the green room that I thought was interesting is you bought three copies of a book and as a family, you're all reading the same book. What is the book first? We are reading One of Us is Lying, which is obviously a tea book. We're going with my son and his interest level, sort of a whodunit. And yeah, we're reading it together just to encourage conversation. Teenagers don't have a great attention to detail and he's a bit of a skimmer, mine anyways. And so we're trying to encourage a deeper understanding of literature. Well, good for you. That's really interesting. I've never heard that. And it's something that I'm going to put in my memory bank and do as my daughters grow older. We do a chapter a night, which makes it digestible. And then we talk about it after. So it feels a little bit more group activity. So yeah, give it a whirl. (laughs) I will. I will. So Kim, I've been very busy because I just recorded a podcast with James Whitlock, which I think is coming out next week. And he's based somewhere between London and Birmingham, which doesn't really mean a lot to me, but I know it's in England. And I just appeared on Adam Gordon, who's built a really cool HR tech company and sold to iSims. I appeared on his recruitment enablement series. So do check it out. I have the link online. It's around 15, 20 minutes. And it's just me sharing what I know, which is not a whole lot. So a lot no, going on no, in the UK. I might minutes worth of stuff, it seems. <laughs> That's what 15 to 20. Yeah, yeah, 15, 20 minutes is like the extent of my knowledge, which works out perfectly. I want to jump into some industry news and some local industry news. Kibi Technologies is a Calgary job site focused on new Canadian, and it just raised $1.1 million. Give you a little bit of an idea. HP, who is the CEO, recently closed $895,000 Canadian dollars and also got some funding from Alberta Innovate and IRAP and other grants that pushed the raise to $1.1 million. So the site itself, basically what it is, is targeted for new Canadians. And we know we're going to have a lot of new Canadians coming into the market. It's a job site that's basically radius. You can search jobs close to your house. And a lot of it is more entry-level roles from what I'm seeing right now. I think their main focus is on the app, which is an interesting approach in the job board space because definitely a lot of traffic starts on Google. So we'll see how successful it is. But I'm really happy to see a Calgary-based company get tons of money. So congrats, Kibby. Have you ever heard of them, Kim? I haven't. It was an interesting read. I love that they're doing job board by map. Why are all job boards not doing that? That's a great idea. Well, there's a couple of reasons that most job boards don't do it. If you're getting jobs from other areas, you don't have enough jobs in your career site. If you backfill from ZipRecruiter, indeed, there's no address on those jobs. So it's really hard to pinpoint the location. That's the main reason. But there's ways to overcome it. So I'll be interested to see how well they do with it. But It's great to see a Calgary company get funding. The job board space is a very challenging space, but all the best. And I'm hoping 
they just kill it because definitely a lot of companies need a lot of help with new Canadians coming into the market. It's a big future for labor force here. The other news, and I'm really excited about this because this is our main sponsor, VanHack, just raised $3 million from a Texas-based business-to-business software venture fund, Golden Section. Ilya Brodsky, the CEO, who is a magnificent guy. I had the best time with him in Las Vegas at Unleash. Very well deserved. He's grown a substantial business in the past five years. And for him to get additional funds to keep growing the business in a very interesting time. So congrats, Ilya. We're very excited for you. And we're so happy that you're a sponsor of the show. Maybe this is why they started sponsoring the show. They got new money. Love it. There we go. Amazing news for sure. Have you ever heard of Anhack? <laughs> no, I'm learning about all these things today, <laughs> but it's exciting. It's great to see Canadian businesses growing and getting funding and continuing in areas where we need help for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the biggest things he's focused on is getting tech talent into Canada. And he's been a big proponent of trying to loosen the immigration rules, especially with tech talent. He's going to be in the show in the next couple of weeks going through the new immigration announcements that was done at Collision in Toronto. With that, I'm going to jump right into the news because last week at Collision, which is a big tech conference here in Canada, Sean Frazier, who is the Minister of Immigration, Refugee and Citizenship, launched Canada's first ever tech talent strategy. Give you the key highlights. They've done a creation of an open work permit stream for H-1B specialty occupation visa holders in the U.S. to apply for a Canadian work permit and study or work permit options for their family members. Especially with the immigration rules, why not just come up north? Yeah, if they like being in North America, if they're making it difficult to be in the United States, why not make it cozy up here in Canada? A hundred percent. There's real value to it because we do need that talent. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we have when it comes to innovation is you can't innovate if you don't have the correct talent. We have a need for workers. So I think it's great. I'll give you a couple more of the key points. The one that I was really interested is we want to become a leader in digital work nomads. Basically people coming here for a certain amount of times and working remotely and finding a role that's Canadian based and they would get an express entry. I think that's a really cool approach. There's a lot of people across the world that can still work remotely. Another note on that, I was looking at LinkedIn data when it comes to how many jobs are posted remotely. Do you know what it is right now, Kim? Oh gosh, very little. I have not seen a fully remote role come across my desk in forever. 7%. Yeah. 7% and I completely agree. I have not seen many on any of the job boards. It's very rare. But you know what's really interesting about that? That 7% of jobs is responsible for 50% of applications on LinkedIn right now. There's still a huge demand from workers to go fully remote. So Kim, I need your help here. We're going to jump into the tip of the week. And usually Shelly does it. You working in staffing, owning a staffing firm, any advice for recruiters or staffing firm owners that are listening? Totally. I'll say my tip right now, and my team and I have talked about it as we talk through roles and opportunities that we're working on is to let go of the shit work. And I think this goes to all places in your life, but when you eliminate things that are not serving you, it makes room 
for other things to come in. And so if you're unhappy with the roles that you're working on, they're non-fillable, you're working with clients with bias or who are not getting back to you, who are being difficult to work with, let them go because time and time again, and I think we all go into it going, I'm going to be the one to change this situation. (laughs) You're not. And what ends up happening is you spin your tires, you're frustrated, you start feeling a certain way even about yourself when ultimately it just wasn't a good pairing. You have to identify it and learn kind of when to move on from something so that you can start finding things that, like I said, are better suited to the service that you're providing. Is it usually using your gut or sort data that you leverage being like, this is going to be way more time than I'm actually going to make money? Is there something that triggers it for you? Yeah, like I think sometimes there is like a level of gut to it. But I do think there are some concretes, people who are reluctant to get signed terms back, people who you know, are vague and don't seem to understand what they want, people who are not open to feedback, folks that are set in their ways on what they're doing despite coaching. I mean, I just recently spoke with a client that had an interview process that was awful. And I said, guys, this is not the market. We can't do it. We need to shorten some of this up. And their whole thing was like, well, if candidates don't like the way we hire, well, then they're probably not the candidates for us. And I was like, best of luck in your search. (laughs) Am I battling uphill before I've even started? Those are probably some good indicators right at the beginning that they're going to battle you the whole way through. Yeah. You know what? That one is the toughest, right? When you start working with a client and they have a six interview process and you're having that discussion and candidates are dropping off and you're like, I don't understand. We're a great place to work. I'm like, you know, they have other options. And usually when you put them through strenuous interview process, the good ones leave. And the other factor is if your application process and your interview process is shit, they put themselves working for that company and are thinking over bureaucratic or like nothing gets done here. They can't make a decision. Yeah, that's a challenging one, Kim. Yeah. And when it feels wrong, it generally is. And time to let it go. Time to let it go. Well, let's jump into the recruiting insights Kim, you've been on the show several times, and I guarantee you in those several appearances that we have talked about a great resonation because it seemed like the only thing we talked about for two years. Well, guess what? It seems like the great resonation is definitely done. The data is showing it. We're starting to see people stay at their job. And this happens when there's uncertainty in the market. We're seeing some triggers. I think the layoffs with the major tech companies scared a lot of people thinking, is this going to come to the rest of the industries? Really hasn't. And the economy has stayed really stable. But what I thought was interesting was in March 2023, the quit rate was 2.5% which is down from 2.9 the year before. Right now, there's 9.6 million job openings in March, which is still high, but it's down from 12 million in March 2022. So I think people are making a decision. Maybe I need to hold on to this job because, first of all, recruitment was a lot more active probably a year ago, two years ago. So you were getting a lot more calls from headhunters, people like you, And if the option was really good, you were willing to take that chance and change jobs because we all knew that was the best way to get an increased rate. But now people are kind of stepping back. What have you seen? What do you think about this, Kim? 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting. The Great Resignation's timing with the pandemic and everything, I think, is really tied together. It may have just been the straw that broke the camel's back that created all this movement. There was a lot of mishandled things in the workforce. I think people were under a lot of duress. They were feeling heightened. And so that contributed to a lot of that movement. Fast forward to today is... A, we see cyclical movement. So people move jobs every two to three years or so. So if we saw a year and a half ago, a ton of people moving jobs, statistically speaking, those people wouldn't be looking again. So that could be contributing to it. But I also think we have a lot smarter job shopper now. People are really particular about what they want. And when I'm talking to candidates, candidates know what they want. They know what kind of company. They know what kind of work environment in terms of hybrid or location or compensation and all of those things. And so candidates aren't just in a space of, I got to get out of here. This place is garbage. It's more, I'd move if, and I know we call it the great stay, but I think it's like the picky stay. (laughs) And the problem with the market today is that employers are still thinking it's a bit of a soft market, but it is very much still a candidate market. And so the job offers we're getting oftentimes are not competitive. I have been working with clients that have lost so many candidates because they are under offering off of what we've presented. If employers aren't willing to be competitive, of course, you're not going to get candidate to move and you're going to just be in the cycle of having an empty position forever. Why do you think employers are underestimating the salaries? Like it's still a candidate market. Why do you think they still think like that? Oh, if only I knew. I think some of it's the news. Like we see these companies announce their layoffs. We'll see Suncord's doing X amount of layoffs or whatnot, which happens in companies like that and really isn't reflective. There are tons of sectors that are growing. I do think activity in the US impacts the thought train in Canada, even though historically, even though we sometimes see a bit of the downshuffle of it, it's never as extreme as it happens in the US. We do tend to be a bit more conservative in our hiring and our firing and all of those types of things and our business planning. I'm going to assume that it's that. And some of it, sometimes it's just a bit of disbelief. They're like, I actually don't want to pay that much. Well, (laughs) that's just too bad. (laughs) Yeah. And I think candidates, if they're willing to move, salary is a really important consideration. And I know I, I've worked with companies. We don't want people that only care about the salary, but at the end of the day, pizza parties don't pay your bills, right? Um, that's the most obnoxious thing you've ever heard. Like, I don't want someone to work for me who all they care about is salary. That is literally the point of working to exchange your time for money. And a company that says that is just so out to lunch. Like, it's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love that you called them job shoppers. That's a perfect description of how people look for jobs right now. It's kind of a window shopping. Let's see what's out there. If there's something interesting, maybe I'll send my application, but I'm really looking for that great opportunity with the right company. If not, I'm not going to move that. I think two years ago, people were just moving, thinking there's got to be something better out there. I want to try something else. So I'm going to jump. But then it goes to the conversation of, Are people being scared of being called job hoppers? Even to this day, I still have conversations with companies that think anything less than 10 years, five years is probably a better example, is 
job hopping. And I don't think that's the case anymore. I think job hopping now is 12 months. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I have to coach clients all the time on this going, this is your candidate for the next two to four years. And that's how you need to look at it. Stop asking people where they want to be in this company in five years, because chances are they're not going to be here. And honestly, it's a double-edged sword. I get it as a hiring manager. It's a pain in the butt to train people. But at the same time, you don't want someone to come in and get too cozy. That's where complacency sets in and that I'm turning my computer on at nine, I'm turning it off at five. Like You want people who come in who are energized, excited, adding value to your company. They're just going to be this whirlwind of awesome. And then they're just going to go off and sprinkle their awesomeness somewhere else. And you're going to bring a different kind of awesome in. And so that's how people need to look at it. So yeah, I definitely have to coach clients on that side of things. But on the flip, I often too get clients who don't look at candidates who've only been at somewhere for so long because there's a perceived lack of diversity of thought or reluctance to learn new things or whatnot. It's so mixed messaging for candidates. It's hard. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's definitely one of the things that I probably have an unconscious bias around is when I look someone that's been in a company for 15, 20 years, I'm like, they might have a lot of depth of knowledge in that particular thing they do. But they probably don't have a lot of bread of knowledge and understanding how different companies work and what other tools are being used. And we see it even like when employees that worked at a company for 15 years and have used Microsoft, right? And then they go into a new company and leveraging Slack and Google is a major issue. It takes a long time. But I think the days of people 15 to 20 years are so rare that... I don't think it'll be something that we even look at five to 10 years from now. No. Why would you ever stay somewhere for that long? There is no better way to build your experience and your income than to move jobs. And that is a cold, hard fact. A cold, hard fact. Let's move on to the next recruiting insight. And I want to talk about a recent article that LinkedIn came out. We've talked a lot about skill-based hiring and skill-based hiring It's a fuzzy concept, right? We hear it, but then we're like, what does it actually mean? I think it's different for a lot of companies what you need to be successful. So basically what LinkedIn came out was job postings that feature skills boost your conversion rate by 11%. To give you an example, instead of putting five years experience, you're putting someone that is proficient in these four tools you will get a way better conversion rate on those candidates. Definitely recommend that you start looking at removing the years of experience because I think the example here is I can be at a job for 10 years and suck at my job for 10 years. It doesn't mean I'm proficient in anything compared to someone that's been at a job for two years and becomes highly proficient. But what's your take here on listing skills that you need to be successful compared to listing experience? I don't know. I thought LinkedIn was reaching with this article. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think the <laughs> idea around it is interesting, but it was super vague they provided one really not great example of what they were talking about. So at the end, I walked away going, I don't really know exactly what you're trying to say. At first, the topic is like, start listing skills on your job ads. And I'm going, is there people not listing skills? Because that is wild. But then their example, it was really just taking away a quantity of years of that skill versus removing the skill altogether. So I think their example was instead of saying three years of customer service experience, someone with exceptional customer service experience. And while I think it's 
good to be open to different levels of experience. The problem is that hiring manager has in their head an amount of years that they want an experience. So are we, by eliminating that, misusing candidate time where I need someone with five years? That's what they've decided. Whether it's founded or not, are we wasting time of people with one year's experience who have to go through this lengthy application process who ultimately is just not going to get through? And I don't know. I don't know what the solution is, to be honest, but I am a big candidate advocate. And if you know you're not going to look at my resume because I don't meet certain criteria, tell me out the gate what that criteria is. Don't make it vague. You know, instead of focusing on what are we putting out to candidates? It's sort of like, well, how can we be educating managers differently? And I think that's an age-old question in recruitment of going, why are you asking for three years? And really unpacking that. Most internal recruitment just simply don't have time. And I know you've been on the internal side and the volume of requisitions is outrageous that you would just never have the time to really counsel someone on their hiring practices. And so until that changes... I don't think it matters what's on your job ad if your hiring manager already has criteria in their head. Well, I'm glad you brought up those talking points because I completely agree with you. But this is where the issue is. We are still not measuring skills in any way. And I've never been a fan of pre-hire assessment, but I think we're definitely going towards that. I don't think we have a choice, especially with how job seekers are using ChatGPT to balance the job ad and their resume and make it look like they have a lot of this experience. Right. So we need to quantify it. When I'm doing an intake, I'm always like, what are your top three must-haves? And they have to be quantifiable, things I can measure. They can't be vague opinion. And even still, when I set that tone, I'll tell you, nine out of 10 times, someone's like, someone who's very organized. And I'm like, I can't (laughs) measure that. You need to tell me like, someone who has had to manage a filing system or, you know, in the Mm. customer service example, like someone who has had to deal with escalated large purchase customer grievances or whatever, like it has to be so specific to what you're looking for. If you want those skills to be relatable to a candidate, because, you know, we talk about software, it's like mm, intermediate, advanced. I mean, it's just so up to interpretation where if you're like, you need to be able to create pivot tables. Well, that's something that someone go, yes or no, I can do that. So if you're looking at your job description and you can't yes or no those things, then that's, I think, where you need to change. What's your thoughts around skill-based testing? Okay. I mean, I'm actually working with a client right now with some extensive testing that is. Okay. I think you need to be mindful of the time commitment and at what point you introduce it. There are okay. some times when it's appropriate, like especially when we're hiring for technical roles that the client has an IT focused test where you need to perform, again, a functional thing to do with the job. When it comes to software specific, the problem with them, and we don't even run them because people who are really good at Word, Excel, or whatever program knows a bunch of shortcuts that these programs don't acknowledge. Like they're very by the book. And so you'll often see someone really senior with great skills score quite poorly because they're like, shoot, I don't remember the long form of this. I've been doing this for 20 years. I just know how to do it. So there's holes and gaps in it. 
I would much rather you had specific functions that were critical. Like if you can't do this, you can't be in the job. That was part of an in-person interview where you actually had a computer set up and asked them to perform the function because that will also point a real view of how long it's taking and take into consideration the fact that people may have better ways to do it than you do. Where in the process should it be if you are going to go ahead and do this type of testing? I would say between first and second interview, we mm. want to introduce the opportunity first to the candidate. We have to remember the candidate doesn't even know if they want to work for you yet. And asking them to do it before you've even met with them, to me, is a bit presumptuous. It's asking for references out the gate. It's, I don't even know if I want this job. I'm not going to invest an hour in online testing. Get real. Where once you've met with them, you have some rapport and saying, hey, we have a few things as part of a process. You'll get a much bigger buy-in on that point. And also, again, stop misusing people's time. So if the work assignment or the testing is quite long, let's say four hours and more, should the candidate be paid to do that? I mean, it should be. <laughs> I think yeah. if you're asking for that kind of time commitment from someone, and I don't know the logistics internally of how you could issue payment, but even a gift card to thank someone for their time or something just to show appreciation. I had a candidate once who had to do, it wasn't an assessment, but it was like a presentation that took time to prepare. And she ended up not being successful for the role, but the client sent her some compensation for her time. And what a great thing. Cause I can tell you the person who gets the job doesn't mind the time they spent in it. The person yeah. who doesn't get the job thinks you're garbage because of it. Like, I invested eight hours in this. You know, when we talk about employer branding, those are all the little pieces that contribute to that. Because although that maybe wasn't your candidate today, they could be your candidate for tomorrow and you don't want to alienate that relationship. I'm pretty strong and steady on the point that if you are going to make candidate do any of these exercises, you need to figure out a way how to pay them. And to your point, it might be a gift card. It might be something else. There are companies out there that facilitate these types of transactions in the HR tech space. So there's ways to do it if this is going to be part of your process. So totally. good point. I want to move on to the next recruiting insight. And Kim, I'm sorry to say, but we're growing a little bit older. I am at <laughs> least. Yeah, speak for yourself. Yes. I am. You're still backwards. looking 29. I am like but Benjamin we are Button over here. <laughs> You are. And one of the things as we get older in the workforce, like we were talking earlier about someone like me with three kids, I care a lot about dental and healthcare. But if I'm straight out of school, I don't really care as much for that. But I might have a pet, right? And pet insurance being offered might be a great perk for me. Or instead of RSP matching or 401k matching, it might be student loan matching. And these are all recent new benefits that we've been adding to really attract that generation of workers to come work for us. But what about the older generation? We've talked a lot about the older generation is left the workforce, but they're coming back. And they are a very critical part. And they're a big reason that we're seeing challenges in labor shortages, especially in the two years of the pandemic, they retired in droves. And we all knew that the boomers were going to retire. We've been talking about it for 20 years and it happened, but now they're coming back to work. And I'm like, what can we offer that would be very attractive to them? And three companies in a recent article in Wall Street Journal talked about a grand leave. 
So it's basically giving a couple of days or a week or a couple of weeks to grandparents. And I thought that why have we not done that before? Because you think about it, you have kids and they have kids and usually their kids need a lot of help. Like we've had kids, Kim, and we know that the first two weeks, three weeks are just a whirlwind, right? And any let's, help that we can- not, Let's not fuss it. They're awful. No, <laughs> Fair enough. you're fighting to survive. <laughs> help and is having, welcome. Bring your parents in. <laughs> yeah. So what was your thought on having generation focus benefits to attract different parts of the workforce? Yeah. So a couple things. One- let people retire. Part of the article was like, how are we retaining our older working population? And it's like, let them retire if they're ready to retire. Because if I'm retiring, don't call me. I'm not coming back to work. I don't care what you're hiring for. Don't call me. But if they want to come back and trying to offer things that you're right, makes sense for them because parental leave and whatever, I think it's a nice option. I thought it was hilarious that the U.S. is offering three days and Australia is offering two weeks for the same benefit. It's just classic, isn't it? Isn't there mat leave six weeks down there? And so (laughs) that to me made me laugh. My caution around it is it's, again, from a bias standpoint, is offering something to people who have had children. I would be careful to have it as a personal or family benefit and certainly use that as potentially an opportunity when you could use it. But I think from an inclusive standpoint, it's going, okay, well, I can't take advantage of this leave because I made the decision not to have kids. But what if my sister's kids have kids? Or maybe it doesn't even need to be around kids. Maybe I'm doing something else. So I do think in a time where inclusivity is top of everyone's mind that I would be careful to go, here's a benefit only if you have kids who have kids. Yeah, and I get that, but I'm going to disagree a little bit here because I think the reality of having kids, but again, inclusive is important, but I think one of the things that all generations are asking is tailor benefits to my need. And I think we're used coming from a background that everyone got the same. I'm graduating from university, I'm going to a job and I should be saving RSPs or 401k it's not really a priority for me because I'm so busy paying my student loans. It's more about customization. Yeah. And I think it should have it for sure. I just think it should be a leave of say you have three days and here are some examples of when we would encourage you to use it or you could and not only if. I also think this is a little bit of a now problem where I had kids younger than you, which... I don't know if I want to remind you that I'm going to be an empty nester at 45. But the point is, no, I rock is what I do. I'm already looking for vacation homes. But the difference, though, now is many people are having children quite a bit older. Like, I don't know the official number, but I know it's got to be into the 30s. I don't know that we're going to encounter that many working grandparents at that trend. Like in the article, there was a gentleman who was 47, two-time grandparent at 47. (laughs) Please help me if that's me. No. (laughs) It could happen, Kim. It it could. Yeah. But it, (laughs) fingers crossed. But that is the reality of when people were having children younger and then your kids have kids younger, where, like I said, I don't think trend-wise, we will see this being as prevalent in the future as it is today. 
Look at you being logical. I think it makes a lot of sense. But overall, let's stop thinking about benefits as a one size fits all. Let's look at how we can attract and retain different segments of our population. This is where we look at those untapped labor pools and retirees are still a big part of it. And I understand your point saying, don't call me after I've retired. There's a lot of people that retire and be like, shit, I don't like this. I want to go back to work, maybe do something different. Like I don't see myself really ever retiring, to be honest. I don't. I think I'll I'll always be doing something. Go hit the golf course. But here's the thing on that too, and I'm going to broken record myself a little bit, is that it circles back to hiring managers, being comfortable letting someone step back. Because I do work with a lot of people sort of at the end stages of their career who are like, yeah, I'd love to keep working. I love the social engagement. I want to contribute. But I don't want to be in that senior high pressure job. Like that time in my life is done. I want something a little bit less pressure. And hiring managers really struggle with digesting that. And this is too with customization of benefits and how are we fitting into people at different life cycles. A huge piece of that is allowing people to take a step back and and looking at that as a huge benefit to be able to get someone with all that experience in a position that they're, and I hate the word overqualified, but I'm going to say it here anyways, who's overqualified for it. And I always use this analogy for overqualified is that if you were going in for surgery and your doctor was overqualified, would you ever send them out of the room? No. I want a less qualified doctor. Why are we like that about other jobs? No, take the experience. It's a gift. Kim, this was a lot of fun. Anything new coming up that we should tell the audience? Anything exciting? No, I don't think. Verb is just continuing to grow. We are nine strong now and just wanting to keep changing people's lives. (laughs) Oh. So if anyone wants to find Kim, she can be found on LinkedIn and her company Verve Recruitment. Please follow them on LinkedIn as well and go check out their website, ververecruitment.com. Ververecruitmentgroup.com. There you go. And congrats on nine. You've grown really quickly. Thank you. So for everyone listening, thank you so much. We will have Shelly back next week. Kim, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. No, thank you for having me anytime. Shelly, let's face it, texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, This is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.